Well, our text this morning is Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. But I'm also going to add Psalm 72, verse 18, and Psalm 77, verses 11 through 15. And you'll see the correlation here in just in just a moment. Uh, but as we read this, uh, please read with me from, from the text. Uh, first of all, the reason I had chosen King James is because we all have so many different translations, and I want to kind of narrow it down to what I believe would be the best for the memorization. And then, of course, this is the text that we use in our study. But Acts 19, verses 11 and 12, and then we'll just follow along in each passage. Let's read together. Let's read aloud. Verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, Psalm 72, verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And Psalm, and Psalm 77, verse 11, and following through verse 15. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work. And talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. I wanted to emphasize the very fact that if there are wonders and miracles taking place, It is because God does them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you for this time and this opportunity to read and to study your word. Father, we pray for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit to be upon each and every person here. We ask, Lord God, for the attentiveness of every heart and every mind. And then, Lord, that they would be receptive, certainly to your truth and certainly, Lord God, to that which will affect our lives today and the days to come until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we ask that you grant us your wisdom and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. I uh, discovered a website this week on the Internet that uh, catalogs, and I quote, Pentecostal fake miracles and trinkets that have been sent out over the years by various TV preachers and evangelists who, in the end, were just charlatans, or as I like to call them, snake oil salesmen, as it were, taking the last dollar from many a trusting yet naive widow solely to line their own pockets. Now, the trinkets that you see on this website, it is a Christian website that is revealing or exposing all of this Uh, stuff but the trinkets that are included there in this catalog included vials of special anointing oil not just anointing oil but special anointing oil prayed over by uh, whichever evangelist sent it miracle medallions prayer candles blessed coins that uh, came with a promise of a miracle that you would receive 
when you wrap that coin with the largest bill that you have and send it back to the evangelist. And you can go on and on and on. There's just uh, tons of them. But uh, time does not permit me to mention every sort of charm and bobble exposed. But, but two names do appear of men who were exposed as charlatans about 20 years ago, 15 to 20 years ago. And with the passing of time, you know, they disappeared for a while and now they're slivering their way back into late night cable TV notoriety. One of them is Robert Tilton and the other is Peter Popoff. And they're... Very good at uh, making it seem like if you don't get their latest little thing from the TV, then uh, you're not going to get the blessing or the miracle that you want to receive. What, uh, what I can tell you is that throughout this website, one scripture, one passage of scripture was usually repeated all the way down through from top to bottom. And it's Second Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and notice what it says. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom... The way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, which means in their greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. In other words, one day they will get their reward for what they have done in deceiving the body of Christ. It's interesting that that one of the most popular of uh, miracle trinkets that is used by many of these false teachers, is the prayer cloth or the prayer handkerchief, no doubt biblically supported by today's text, uh, that many would say, except for the fact that in the Apostle Paul's case, he didn't try to turn it into a quick money-making scheme, and besides, he was probably frustrated going to work every morning and finding another one of his sweatbands or aprons missing. Because that's what we're going to find out happened uh, with the Apostle Paul. To properly understand this short passage in light of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, it is important to understand the pattern by which things were done then, biblically, as opposed to the common misconception today. The misconception is that miracles are to be done first to attract people. And that would almost seem like a sideshow event. Let's do miracles to get people to come, and then maybe we'll preach them the gospel, whatever. Rather, you see, the real order, the biblical order, is the preaching of the Word of God. It came first. And then God blessed the Word of God. God blessed His own Word, and then the miracles would follow. And as we see in our text, through Paul, as the Lord authenticated His message, we want to see and expand our text one verse. So let's add verse 10 in our in our, in our looking at the text today, because verse 10 then gives us really the full pattern of this, uh, uh, of this order. In, in verses uh, 10 through 12 of Acts 19, and this continued, of course, uh, when it says this continued for two years, was uh, Paul's teaching and preaching in Ephesus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. Do you see the order? The preaching of the Word of God. And then comes, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. And I want you to notice, God worked the miracles through the hands or by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs, which by the way, a handkerchief really was just a sweatband, or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. 
uh, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Therefore, whatever it had been on his body, which was a sweatband or maybe the apron that he was using in his, in his leather work or in his tent making, whatever, uh, people would take those from his body and they would take it to someone who was sick. And, and notice what happened. Even, uh, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them. The miracle took place. Miracles took place. Diseases left them, plural, and the evil spirits went out of them, plural. And by the way, there's a distinguishing here. Distinguishing between diseases and evil spirits. Because in, in, in most cases with diseases, diseases were not always uh, generated by, by evil spirits or demons, as it were, as, as some people thought. And so there was a distinguishing between just normal diseases and the fact that there were others who had evil spirits and demons that needed to have them cast out. So the word of the Lord then was preached, as we see in the order. The word preached would be the message that we mentioned last time, which was the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, evidently, those that Paul taught for two years, they went through Asia spreading the gospel. We talked a little bit about this last week. They went out and they preached the gospel wherever they went, and especially in the, in the uh, area of Asia, which included Ephesus and Colossae and, and Thyatira and, and uh, uh, Laodicea and, and other places there. There's three things that you have to understand about that. That is, those who learn from the Apostle Paul, who are servants of Christ, these servants of Christ preached the word of the Lord, not their own ideas and not their own philosophies. They preached the word of God. Because it tells us that the people in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Secondly, the servants of Christ were committed and completely sold out to Christ and to the evangelizing of the world. So they were sold out in taking the word of God wherever they went so that people would hear the gospel. And thirdly, the servants of Christ did not just talk about reaching people for Christ. They actually reached out to all their area and went everywhere they could. So it wasn't just a matter of hearing the word, but doing the word. They did what they were called to do. So consequently, uh, special miracles of God were then seen. The word went forth, but then special miracles took place. And notice that God is the one. And again, I, I just want to emphasize this. And we try to emphasize it in reading the two passages from Psalms. But notice that God is the one working these miracles through Paul. God is the one working the miracles through Paul. And Luke tells us that they are special miracles or unusual miracles. Now that's, that's very important to understand these two words. Unusual miracles or special miracles. Because the Greek word for miracles, we'll start with miracles first, is, is, is very significant. Because the word for miracles there in the Greek is the word dunamis. Dunamis. And we have studied the word dunamis from the very beginning of our study in the book of Acts, which was a long time ago, and I don't remember when it was. Well, these days I'll look and see. But it was a long time ago. And, and back then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where we see Jesus speaking to the disciples before he ascends into heaven, he tells them this. He says, but you shall receive power. And the word power is the word dunamis. So isn't that interesting here? Because it's the very same word that is used for the word miracles. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So now we get an understanding of these miracles. These miracles were powerful 
happenings, powerful situations or powerful things that were taking place in the lives of people uh, in, in the time of the preaching of the gospel of Paul and, and then of those special servants of Christ. So together with the word unusual now, or the word special, the, the phrase itself, special miracles, means this. First of all, it means that they were miracles, powers that were not regular happenings. When they were special or unusual, they were powers that were not regular happenings. Powers that were not the day-to-day experiences of men. Secondly, they were miracles that were extraordinary or extraordinary, but extraordinary. Miracles that were usually not seen, miracles that were uncommon, that were usually not performed. Even the disciples had not witnessed such miracles, not on a regular basis. But they had, but, but not on a regular basis. So they were very special types of miracles that were taking place. Now it's important to understand that if you do a, a complete study of miracles throughout the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, uh, most people will group, most of the commentators who study this, will group miracles in, in areas, for example, first of all, in the life of Moses, of certain miracles taking place that were unusual, uncommon type of miracles. Then the second group with, grouping would be in the lives of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And then the third grouping would be that, of course, of Jesus and his apostles. Jesus in his time, and then, of course, the apostles in, in the church age. So those are the three times when we see these unusual, uncommon types of uh, miracles taking place. But what we have to understand is this. Ephesus, and Paul being in Ephesus was a hotbed. Ephesus was a hotbed for the occult, which included all forms of spiritualism, spiritism, magic, superstition, the black arts, and, and so on, on and on and on. And the people were themselves an emotional lot. I mean, they, they really got into things, you know, sensual. They were sensual people. They were easily moved to feelings and, and to belief in the magical. And it's important to note here that Ephesus was a great religious center as well. As a matter of fact, it was certainly more religious than Athens was. Athens was a lot more focused upon philosophies, even though they had their religions as well. But uh, Ephesus was a greater religious center, and, and it was probably more than any other major city of its time. But, but the reason is because they had in Ephesus that great temple of Diana, or uh, the other term would be Artemis. And it was there in Ephesus, and the worship that was connected with it was satanic to the very core. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Actually, next week, we're going to delve into it a little bit more because of the next situation that takes place. So we'll see this uh, later in, in in this chapter, and I'll talk about it more. But to meet that kind of opposition, the Lord granted these special, unique powers, as the text says, by the hands of Paul. So the, God, so the Lord worked these wonders by the hands of Paul in the midst of this particular center of occultism and of Satanism. And you'll notice what happens in verse 12. So that even handkerchiefs, sweatbands, or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So there, there was... Uh, healings, uh, there, there were healings taking place. 
there, there were, there were uh, people being delivered from uh, demonic possession. And this is all happening in front of people who, you know, really kind of crave this kind of stuff, you see. They were, be, they were being healed and delivered from demons. I mean, it wasn't usual for God to use handkerchiefs or aprons in such a way. The pieces of material were presumably those which Paul used in his tent making or, or his leather working. Again, it was a sweat rag for tying around his head and, 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 and the aprons for tying around his waist. You know, all of this really just to kind of help clean up and, and get the sweat out of his eyes. You know, you all understand. Some of you guys were, were headbands, you know, when you do sports or whatever. And you have sweat bands on your wrists and, and all of that. But these were, I mean, this was, this was not just sweat. I mean, it was sweat, it was dirt, it was dust, and it was just yucky, okay? You got the picture? All right, y'all eating breakfast already, so I don't think you're, you know, have to worry about this. Just a yucky, good man. And they were just taking him from his body. It was like, you know what, Paul? We believe that we could take this over and, and lay it on somebody and they're going to be, they're going to get healed. And that's, and that's pretty much what they were doing. Because while Paul was working, I mean, you know, he would perspire. So he'd use these dirty, sweaty claws to wipe his brow. And imagine people coming and picking up these claws to put on sick people. And then they'd immediately be healed. That was the wonder of it all, you see. But what do these claws represent? Because again, you have to think. I mean, Paul didn't say, you know what, let me have that rag and let me kind of wash it a little bit. No, they were desperate. They would take that over right away. You know, some of us would probably hold it out like this, you know. Here, put this on your body. But what do they represent? What do these claws represent? Well, consider this. Consider that they represented the byproducts of Paul's labor in order to teach the Word of God. Think about that. That they represented the byproducts of Paul's labor in order to teach the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's way of acknowledging, blessing, and sanctifying those physical labors of Paul by which he supported himself in the ministry. His sweat. I mean, you know, he didn't, you know, he, he would work most of the time in his tent making was late at night, sometimes midnight to, you know, two or three in the morning. Get a little bit of rest. Get up. Have a little, you know, little breakfast. Uh, spend time with the Lord. Uh, go finally at 11 o'clock to Tyrannus' school where he would teach from 11 till about 2, 3, or 4 in the afternoon. And then he'd take a little breather. And then, and then teach at night. He would teach at night from maybe, let's say, 6 or 8 till, till about uh, 10 or 11. Then he'd go to work. And he was sweating and sweating and sweating to do what? To preach and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And along with that thought, that we might add that in the Ephesian area and in this area where these mystery religions existed, and many times in those religions, you know, they did everything to, to purify themselves in the sense that they would wear these white gowns, they would wear garments that were, you know, spotless, because, you know, they were going to be doing something to their gods and, and offering something of, of what they considered value to their own gods. And, 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 
And, and so they emphasized the, the need for everything to, to be very clean, to be very white, even though it was very dark and very demonic. You know, the things that they did and the things that they practiced. And so it seems that God here was, was in a sense rebuking that sort of thing in, in, a, in a kind of a humorous manner. Where everybody who is preaching a, a, you know, a false gospel or a false god or, or, or worshiping false gods wearing clean and white clothes, you know, people are getting healed with a stinky, dirty sweatcloth. You know, I, I think that's God's way of, of saying, you know, I can do whatever I want in, in my power. And, and it makes you wonder about the way people try to act when they try to clean up the outside, but the inside isn't where it should be. And it just comes down to the very fact that God blessed this. And God used it. But it had nothing to do with these articles of cloth. Please understand this. It had nothing to do with these articles of cloth. But I believe that these articles of cloth, the sweatband or this apron, uh, were points of contact for their faith, for the faith of the people to be released. Points of contact are important in seeing God do work in people's lives. Take, for example, in Matthew chapter 9, and in verses 20 through 22, where it says, And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind, And touched the hem of of his garment. And that is Jesus' garment. And if you remember the story, Jesus was surrounded by so many people. You know, he was trying to move through the streets. And people were just crowding in about him. And... and, uh, But only Jesus... uh, Jesus knows every person that that, that touched him. You know, and so... it It wasn't a hard thing for Jesus to know who it was. But you see, she said to herself... If only I may touch his garment... I shall be made well. If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. It wasn't a garment, but it was a point of contact that brought Jesus to say to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well that hour. What a a touch that was. In another gospel, Jesus talks about his virtue. So I I feel my virtue coming out. And the disciples are saying, "Well, well, who was it? You know, who's touching Jesus? Everybody was touching Jesus. But he knew it was one woman who had faith who trusted that if she could just touch the hem of his garment. And really the hem of the garment is those little tassels that are on the edge of of the garment of a male, a Jewish male. And just to touch one of those, she was made whole. There was a touch in a different way in Acts chapter 5 in the life of the the Apostle Peter. We're told in verses 14 and 15 that believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets, notice, and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. 
that even if Peter was walking by and, and, and somehow the shadow would touch one of their sick family members that's laying out on a bed or couch out on the street. That's the faith they had for this point of contact. That even the shadow of Peter would touch them. And see, what is a shadow? I mean, a shadow's nothing. A shadow's nothing. And yet there was their faith. It was the faith of that woman who just wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. It was the faith of a person saying, You know what, Paul? I've got a sick person. I can't bring him here. But let me take your sweatband. And I'll lay it on him. And they were healed. As we know, as we know, at least down deep inside of us, no piece of cloth or any other material thing has any virtue of its own. Only God has virtue within Himself. Only God has virtue within Himself. Therefore, the healing was done by God, not by Paul or by the piece of cloth. It was done by God. Let's remember that God is God and that we need to be honest in dealing with Him. And since He is God, listen to this, because He's God, God has the right to do whatever He wills. And if God has the right to do whatever He wills in choosing to use unusual methods, He does so, and in this case, He did so to break superstitions, not to establish them. He wasn't establishing a, 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 a new kind of work to where down 2,000 years later you have these guys on TV saying, you know, if you'll just send for this miracle cloth that I've been praying for for you. I thought about you today. Yeah, sure. And I've been praying for this cloth and I'll send it to you. And I, and I tell you this... I'll send it to you when you send me the best gift that you can. He's not doing this to establish that. But he did so to break the superstitions of the people in Ephesus. Secondly, because God is God, God is love, and he reaches out to save men in every way possible. Those who are evangelists today will tell you, God works His wonders in many a varied way. It's never the same, is it? It's never the same. Certain situations are different, things happen different, but the Word of God remains the same. The message remains the same. But in bringing that message, sometimes it just comes in a different way, or a different circumstance, or a different place. But God is love and He reaches out to save men in every way possible. And then, because God is God, God knows when a person's faith is true, when a person's faith is really reaching up to be saved wholly, both spiritually and physically. Boy, does God know that. He knows right now what your needs are. And I think that the message that God wants to give us today about this knowledge that He has about our lives and about our needs today is what Jesus would say and what, what is said of God Himself in the Gospels. 
When you take a look at Matthew chapter 19, and I want you to look at this, and I want you to mark it, because in Matthew 19, and even though the context of this, and it would be verse 26 that we're going to read. I'll give you the context. It says that Jesus, in verse 23, said to his disciples, Surely I say to you that it is hard It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And notice verse 26, But Jesus looked at them, and he said to them, With men this is impossible. With men this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. And that's what we need to understand about God today. That with God, all things, all things are possible. And I like the way it is said in Luke chapter 1 verse 37, a passage that is given to us there concerning Mary uh, hearing from an angel to tell her that her cousin Elizabeth, who was older than her and, and had been barren, was now going, it was now with child and was going to give birth. And then the angel says, for with God, nothing, nothing will be impossible. With God, nothing will be impossible. And the Apostle Paul would take that very same thought and very same idea in Ephesians chapter 3 to the church in Ephesus. He would write in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3 now to Him who is able. And if you mark anything in your Bibles, mark that phrase, who is able. Him who is able. God is able, you see. Christ is able. To Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Paul understood the power that worked in him because it was God doing those wondrous things by the hands of Paul. And so Paul would say in that very same context, To Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be glory in the church of Christ, in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To Him be the glory. To God be the glory we used to sing. To God be the glory great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life in atonement for sin, and opened the floodgates that all may come in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Folks, we are God's people. Let's rejoice in knowing that God is able. And there is nothing too hard for Him. Folks, modern faith healers today who offer to send healing prayer clause through the mail to those who support their quote-unquote ministry. I wouldn't call it that, but that's what they call it. You know what? They should be treated with the skepticism they deserve. But just remember this. Remember that Paul did not go into business peddling those sweatbands and aprons for 1995 plus shipping and handling. <laughs> Paul didn't do that. Ultimately, you see, ultimately the power was God's alone. And the power is in God 
alone. And for a person to be healed, what they need is to trust God to heal him. In one scripture, in one scripture, God even commands us to use a point of contact to receive healing. Listen to the words of James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick. Notice, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Is there any great healing power in oil? Just in oil itself. The oil that was made in those days was, was you know, it had some, some healing properties to the, out, to the outward. But if there was a problem inside, it really wouldn't get there. It was, of course, a symbol. It was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. But even today, when I think about it, you know, the, the, the church today, and, and I've, I've been, you know, a believer for 30 some years. So back in the early 70s, you know, going to a church, you know, if they had, they needed to anoint you with oil. It was the same oil that you buy down at, at, uh, at Albertsons, you know, or, 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 or Big Eight, you know, the little little bottle, funny, you know, looked like a Christmas tree thing, and it was just regular olive oil, you know. And if you 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 could anoint with oil for a little while, if you needed to cook something later, you could do it, you know. I don't know that there's a lot of healing qualities or properties in that oil. Well, that's the question I'm asking. Is there any great healing power in oil? But let me ask you another question: Is there great healing power in elders? Careful how you answer. Because the answer really is no. Because the power is in God. The power is in God and it's our faith in Him that brings the healing. The prayer of faith will save the sick. But the Lord can work even in our weakness. Folks, the Lord can work in our weakness and inability to believe by giving us something to help focus our faith, a point of contact. If anything, we must look at the next verse. In verse, uh, I should say in Acts 19, for another part of Paul's ministry, because if you go one more verse, and we're not going to study that verse tonight, but, or today, but, but we need to look at, at, at what it says, because this is how Paul operated. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits. Saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. I don't want to get ahead of myself. The the, the point I'm making is that Paul was known for standing upon the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And that's key to our understanding of his ministry and of his trust in the Lord. Because it is, as we saw 
back in verse 14 of James 5. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. How? In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. It is in the authority of the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what it does is, it all just comes back to the name that Paul preached. It comes back to the name of Jesus Christ. And I want, you, I want you to listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 15 and verses 16 through 20 because he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the references to the name of Christ. That I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God, the good news of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Notice, notice what he just said. He said, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. Again, it is Christ who does the work. It is Christ who accomplishes the work in and through us. But he says, in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient, verse 19, Notice, in mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Not His power, but by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And again, it comes back to the preaching of the gospel first. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But again, it is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is standing upon the word of God. It is standing upon the name of Jesus Christ. And even in the mighty signs and wonders, it is by the power of the Spirit of God. And then he says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 21 through 24, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It was Jesus from beginning to end. It was Jesus from day to night, from night to day. It was Jesus every hour, every moment, every instance of Paul's life that he preached, that he lived, that he gave forth the honor and the glory. Many people who do not believe today in the existence of God claim that since there is no God and science cannot substantiate them, then there are no miracles. That is their, their rationale. That is their way of thinking. I want you to listen to that again. Many people who do not believe in the existence of God claim that since there is no God and science cannot substantiate miracles, then there are no miracles. Interesting way of looking at things. Those are some of the arguments today by some of the new atheists. But we know better, don't we? Because as we prepare today, as we prepare today to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, there is a room full of miracles present. As I look 
from wall to wall. There is a room full of miracles present. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 5.24. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word. What have we been listening to the last couple of weeks? Hearing the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. i got to tell you something. That is a miracle. It is a miracle when we pass from death into life. You see, the common thought and common knowledge is that we live and then we die. But what a miracle it is that when we who are dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive through Jesus Christ, we have passed from death into life. That is a miracle. And we're sitting here as miracles of the work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, even Paul would come into this subject in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And he says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us which the word conveyed means to transfer or to transport us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He says He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Folks, that is a miracle. The very fact that many of us are sitting here on a Sunday morning and not still under the covers... That warm, nice bed. (laughs) But we're here worshiping and praising the God who created us and made us. And worshiping the Lord in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And being here because we want to be here. That's a miracle, folks. To be changed. And if God can change us from death to life, from darkness into light, He can also, in the twinkling of an eye, change us from mortality into immortality. And that's what Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 15. From corruption into incorruption. And that's what we are going to rejoice over today when we take this bread and this cup. And by the way, we're not dealing with the changing of a little piece of bread into anything. It's just a piece of bread, folks. But Jesus, when he offered it, he said, take this and eat it. This is my body. He wasn't speaking literally. He was saying, look, this is a reminder to us. Because he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I have done for you to bring about this change in your life. The cup 
It's just juice. But we take it in obedience to Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my blood was shed for your forgiveness. And today, as we take this bread and this cup, let's not, let us not take it for granted. Let's not take it for granted. I think today would be a a wonderful time to receive the, the table of communion with the expectation that God wants to heal us. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But this is the miracle. We've been changed. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We've been made alive through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.